This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm Crispina. And I'm Adrian. Today, we are going to talk about coaching. While coaching is often associated with sports, it has also become increasingly popular in the professional realm. Christina, if you remember our guest Stephen Locke from episode 16, yes. he is one such coach. Yeah, I read his LinkedIn posts quite often and he was talking about a recent client of his who came to him because he was going through a difficult time with his company and his staff, right? I am seeing more posts from professional career coaches. Seems like it's something that gathered steam in the last three years, on the back of the pandemic maybe, when more people were wondering a little bit about their life goals, relooking their priorities. To me, if it's anything like sports coaching, I assume it is meant to help people play their best game by identifying weaknesses, suggesting strategies and so on. I would imagine so, but also there might be certain questions people may be wondering. How do you mm. start? Where do you go? Is it really helpful to even begin with? So one of the questions I got was, is it only for those starting out in their careers? Because that's when presumably you are not sure where to go, right? Or is it for somebody in the middle of their career? Or what about those who are already on a predetermined path? Would they benefit from a coach? To have us clear the air, that's what we want to ask from our guest today. She is Yu Dan Shi, who is Director of Behavioral Science and Advisory for Digital Coaching Platform Coach Hub. Yudan is also an author of a book called Come Alive, Live Life with More Meaning and Joy. Her specialization is in leadership and change management. She's written about how coaching has helped her when she was going through a particularly hard time in her life. Welcome to our podcast, Yudan. Thank you, Crispina and Adrian. It's my pleasure to be on the podcast. Okay, in this podcast, we always start with introductions. So listeners get a sense of who you are. Your story is quite dramatic, actually. <laughs> You've written about that before. Tell us how you ended up actually quite dramatically in the emergency room of a hospital. Yeah, definitely. So I have not always been a coach. Um, and most coaches you'll find Typically, we have gone through life-changing moments in our life, and that's when we <laughs> make a career transition, and I am no exception. So I started my career rather early. I actually have the traditional very strict parents hoping for high achiever. Right. And as their eldest daughter, so I went to school very early at a four years age, and I went to university at a 14. So I finished university at 17 years old. At 14? Yeah, yeah. So it was <laughs> So you were a child started. prodigy. I wouldn't know whether I'm prodigy, but I definitely was a steward child <laughs> when I went to university. And then what happened? Like, what was your chosen career? What were you planning to do? I mean, I guess a typical Asian parent wants you to either be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to be a writer even at a very young age. So thankfully now finally mm. have written a book. So can you also tell us about how you ended up in the emergency room of the hospital? 
We are really interested to hear that part of the story. So after graduation, I was working extremely hard. Part of the reason I went to school so early is because my family is quite poor, so we didn't have much money. Mm. So my mom really wanted me to go to workforce as early as I can. So I made a promise to them, as you do as an elder child in a traditional Chinese family, that I would work really hard and a lot of money mm. and make everybody happy. That's what I did. So from 17 to age 32, mm-hmm. and when I collapsed, for 15 years, I worked extremely hard, the long hours, the traveling. I was already a very senior executive at the time. I was a chief marketing Mm -hmm. officer for a global Fortune 100 tech company. And I already had two young children doing all of that. And I think the exhaustion just overtake me. I did get quite sick quite often before the episode, but Mm. it it never seemed to really bother me because I guess I was still young. So I always seemed to be recovering. Like I recovered after two days and I get sick again and recovered again. So I never thought anything terribly wrong with me. Mm. So then one day it was just after another meeting with an agency because I was working marketing those days, a lot of agency meeting. Taxi was just literally about to exit Sydney Harbour Bridge. I just felt so sick. And it was such a sharp pain in my right side of body. And I just told the taxi driver, I said, I think something's really wrong with me. I'm about to black out. I didn't know the rest. The next thing I knew is I was in emergency room, the hospital. Mm. And the doctor was telling me that I need an emergency operation. So that's what happened. Oh, and you were 32 years old. I was 32. I think those days, if I reflecting back, I was having a very fast-paced lifestyle. It was a very life-changing moment because what I had sounded not too drastic, but it was actually very life-threatening because the stones in my gallbladder had become so big that the specialist said, if we delayed operation, it could burst the entire gallbladder and it will be poisoning my bloodstream and I would die. So it sounds so minor, gallbladder stone, but in my case, it was so extreme. The buildup has been in my body for so long Mm. and he was so shocked that I had not taken notice of it. I remember I said to him, I said, I do not understand. I'm very young. I'm very healthy. I eat very healthy. I don't understand why would I have this. And he said, actually, you shouldn't meant to have this. God bless them. For someone like you with no family history, who's eating healthy, who's very slim, Mm. you shouldn't have this until maybe 50. This is not something a 30-something person would have. Certainly not to this extent, like the size of the stone. And so I said, well, then what would possibly be causing this. He's such an angel. He said a concept to me I have never heard of before until that moment. Right. He said the only reason would be causing you have this is stress. Wow, it's the first time you heard that? I never even knew stress could cause disease, you know, because I was still very young those days. We don't talk about mental well-being and stress those days as actively as we talk about today. This is 14 years ago. At the time, I have never heard people talking about stress caused by work would lead a physical disease to this degree. I was really shocked. Mm. And he was so certain. He's like, that would be the only reason. It's caused by stress. So in a way, biologically, you may be 32, but stress somehow has... So how do you adjust there after and did coaching has a part to play in how all this adjustment came about? Yeah, you were saying that it was a a turning point for you. Yeah, when he said that and then not long after that, they had wheeled me to the operation room straight away. It was really a scary moment because one minute you are healthy and you have 
the whole life ahead of you. And next minute, someone is telling you that you could die if we don't fix this and no operation is guaranteed. I didn't even have time to say goodbye to people. I didn't even have time to call my dad. I didn't have time to tell my mom. And she was living with me in Sydney at the time. That is how fast they had to get me to the operation room. I didn't say goodbye to my two children. That is how bad it is. The only person mm -hmm. knew what happened was myself. And I was on that thing stretched to be wheeled into operation. Right. So I think I only had about 30 seconds to a minute to comprehend what was happening. I can tell you, which I wrote about in my book, the only emotion I had in that two minutes as they wheeled me into the operation room is regret. I felt so guilty mm. because I had two children at that time with a four-year-old and nine-year-old. I go, what have I done? Sorry, I still get emotional when I talk about it. And so long ago, it's a terrible uh. feeling to know that you could put your kids into such a terrible situation. That's so interesting. Not even fear, but... No fear, just guilt. Just guilt. So much guilt. Right. And so much regret. And even years later, only years later, when I read about the book, this leading nurse wrote this book after interviewing thousands of patients dying in bed. And they said the number one thing they have is regret. And I, I didn't read the book at the time. But when I eventually read that, I go, I can vouch that. That's exactly the only emotion I had when I was there. But like all events in life, like every traumatic event is really a sign from the universe that, okay, yes, time to change. Yes. How did you pivot from your career? You have this fantastic career, actually. How did you begin to start pivoting? This is what happens to a lot of people I have worked with as well in my coaching journey, is that, of course, intuitively, I knew something was wrong with the way I was working and living. For instance, the stress I was having, for instance, I was constantly sick. I was in emergency room several times even before that. They never could diagnose me. I would go in the emergency room. I would even say, I have chest pain. And they're like, no, you're all fine, Miss Chi. You're young, you're healthy, you're fine. But there was just something really bothers me, right? I couldn't sleep. The only way for me to function is a lot of coffee, a lot of sugar. And so I knew it was out of whack. Right. I just didn't do anything about it because you're always counting on that. You're counting on your use and you can somehow just nail it. I also knew I was not exactly satisfied with my overall life and career philosophy. For instance, I might be spending time with my kids, but am I really present? I knew I wasn't as present as I should be. I had a daily regret moments, but they somehow didn't feel big enough for me to take a look at it. When that happened, I go, okay, yes, it's a sign from the universe. You sometimes don't have tomorrow. You actually can't go, well, give me another five to 10 years. Once I have made enough <laughs> money, once I have become successful, once I somehow become calm and more grown up, now I will spend time with my family. Now I will look after my health. Yes, that's what I thought. But sometimes you don't have tomorrow. Yeah. So then what am I going to do differently if I don't have a tomorrow? Mm. And so that was the beginning mm. question I had to ask myself, what do I need to do if every day is precious? At the time, I actually had already been introduced to a coach. This is even before it happened, because clearly I think there is a signal I'm telling my circle, right, about coach. And I just didn't make the appointment to see this coach. After that, once I recovered, I made an effort to see the coach. And I remember in that coaching conversation, this is for the first time in my whole life, 
Someone is talking to me about me, not about if you do this and you will be rewarded. Sometimes at the work, I feel like a lot of conversation is just about if I do the right thing, then I will be doing that. So it's never、mm-hmm. just about me. But in my coaching conversation, the coach wanted to know everything about me. One, I walked away feeling I knew a lot things about myself. It started to making sense. Secondly, I realized how important it is for us to look inwards rather than for me just to chasing the goal. So I think that was the beginning of the journey. And I remember I joked with my coach at the end of first session. She said, "So what's your thoughts?" And I remember I literally said this. I said, "I want to be you." <laughs> I want to do your work. That was just after one session.、That's、That、nice. was just after one session. I said I want to do your work. That was how powerful it was for you. Like I really like that. For for the first time, somebody was interested in just you rather than your accomplishments, your goals, your career, all the external stuff. And different from therapy because I already been to therapy in my twenties, and it's slightly different from therapy. A therapy is very useful too, but she didn't necessarily have to talk to me. Everything happened in my childhood. She really、yeah. created this hope for me that I can change, I can do things with myself. So I felt very hopeful. I'll give you a quick example. How insightful the conversation is. A very simple example is that. We went through this analysis about my personality and my work environment, and so this is coming back to workplace coaching, not different from life coaching. Is that she had to look at my work environment, she had to look at the way I was dealing with work, and then she had to look at my personality. And we concluded my natural personality as a person is a thinker.、Mm. I'm a thinker. I do things a little slower than the normal, and even though I speak still fast. But my environment, or the way I thought I had to act in order to be successful, is complete opposite to the natural self. Ah, hence the stress. Hence the stress, and because I felt I couldn't tell people who I really am. Like I like space. I'm a thinker. I like writing stuff. I like think through. I don't just want to talk, talk, talk all the time in meetings, because I didn't know that. And I made myself to act that way because I thought that's what successful people do. It just created so much stress. Successful people talk a lot. <laughs> successful people talk a lot, act a lot, always with people. And I'm actually more introvert, need a space for myself. And I didn't know that. I thought it was I was an extrovert. I swear, Adrian, we have to write a book on introverts and extroverts because this comes up in almost all our conversations. Really? Yeah, and it's quite interesting point to note that working against your personality type could actually add to surmountable stress in your daily job, which is somewhat like putting on a mask on a daily basis just to do something. Hey everyone, my name's Stephen Chia, and I'm host of CNA's weekly news podcast, Heart of the Matter. Now, each week, my job is to ask questions you have, like why is the COE so high? Why aren't singles dating? Or what is going on with the red-hot property market in Singapore? If you want the views behind the news, then tune in each week as we get to the heart of the matter. We are on the CNA and Me Listen apps and wherever you get your podcasts. Hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode when it drops.
I would like to also just take a step back because for many listeners out there, they may not be well acquainted with this coaching concept. For most companies, I would imagine, usually they will just do training. Mm. Someone, especially if it's a people manager, they're sent to a bunch of trainings, you know, how to have a difficult conversation, how to do appraisal, etc. At the fundamental level, how would you explain to people the differences between coaching and training? And importantly, what is the thing that coach can do that a trainer usually don't? I think the main difference is when training tends to be one size fits all. Training is expert led. I have a content. I'm going to tell you what to do. So it's one size fits all. As the example I just shared with you, we all have our different personality, also different strengths, also different motivation, different needs. So every person is different. So coaching is more that individualized, person-centered approach. So rather than expert-centered, I have the knowledge, you should learn from me. It's more, you actually have the knowledge. You got the skill set, you got the strengths, you got your aspiration and your vision. Let's think about how we can tap into all of these strengths to make your life and career better in a way that is more aligned with yourself. So I think that is the key difference. And the second difference, I would say, coaching is more focusing on challenging our own barriers and our own limiting beliefs. Because when we think about personal development, we understand people don't just do things because we are told it's good for you. Mm. Think about it. It's the same with diet, it's the same with exercise, same with any habit change in the world. People don't like change. We won't do anything, most of us, just because you, Adrian and Crispina are telling me it's good for you. We only make change right. if we find the will and find the motivation to change. And that, again, is very different from our training. How do you go about even looking for a coach? There are so many people out there. You could be in your 40s, you could be in your 20s, 50s. How do you even start this process? So it is important to know what do you want a coach for. So I think that the first thing you have to understand is why you need a coaching and that would help you start to identify which coach you're looking for. Because so you've got the career coach, looking at your career, you've got life coach, which tends to be working with your whole life. Mm. You could be working with a well-being coach. So first understand why and then you will know which type of coach is. And once you understand which type of coach you're looking for, yes, typical way, you can either Google search it or you can ask for referral, ask people who have been through coaching who they would recommend. Mm. So that's the initial stage. But then it's really important to have a conversation with that coach. If you have shortlisted, let's say, three coaches, have a conversation with that coach. Because in a coaching relationship, so between coach and coachee, one of the most important factors driving a successful coaching relationship is trust. So the trust between the coach and coachee. So you need to talk to each coach to feel whether you're comfortable, where you find opening up is easier right. compared to others. Actually, it sounds quite similar to therapy in a way. You need to be comfortable with a therapist, right? Find the right person for you. Definitely. In fact, in all expert relationship, even with the doctors, I think a lot of people don't think about actually how important it is to have a trust relationship with a doctor. So that coach-coachy relationship initially does originate from the therapist model, which is you have to have a trust in your therapist. The only difference, as I alluded earlier, is that therapy tends to focus on trying to uncover the root cause of a lot of things, especially originated from your younger years. And in coaching, we 
more focused on what we call forward-looking and solution-oriented approach. So what is the solution here mm. um, that you can take as an action? I wanted to understand how would people be able to measure really the effectiveness of coaching. And you mentioned earlier on in your experience, uh, after the first session, you realize I want to be mm-hmm. just like the coach. But for many other people, it may not be so direct and so quick. So what other metrics can one use to track all this progress? And also what are some challenges in evaluating the impact of coaching, not just on individuals, but also on organizations? So one of the key components in a coaching relationship is about goal setting. Actually, for a lot of experienced coaches, you don't just jump into coaching straight away. You're trying to understand, this is why I use the words often, your motivation. What is your motivation? What is your why? So understanding what is your goal and how would you know this will be a successful engagement is very crucial. So goal setting. And in fact, for a lot of people, the goal setting process alone is very clarifying because often the first thing coming out of our mouths isn't necessarily what we really want to say. Mm. So just to be able to uncover your real goal in this process can be a really great start already. So some of the measurement could be simple things as, for instance, you know, if people typically in my own experience, for instance, I wanted to know how I can work that is one of the measurement, and that can be easily measured through you know your everyday observation. So as a coach, typically, you might prescribe your clients things like reflection, journal. You typically will have like a progress chart. So if these are the things you want to achieve, you are looking at this at the weekly basis, monthly basis. So you can look back saying, did I make progress? Either behavior change, on my mindset, on the relationship. Mm. Uh, with others. Yeah, whether things have improved at the workplace too, right? Yeah. What are some of the top issues your clients come to you with? If you could just distill it in like maybe top three issues that you're seeing, it's really common. So in Coach Hub, we work with hundreds of thousands of clients every day around the world. Mm. I would say the most common issues we have seen is around the leadership style. So that could be anything to do with managing conflict. It can be how I can create a team that is more engaging. So, you know, the whole engagement, that retention is really on top of everybody's mind. So the leadership style definitely is the one. The second one, which is so close to my own journey, I'm pleased, but I'm also a little sad. I feel there's more work to do is this whole burnout and well-being thing is coming out a lot for people going, how can I be more a high performer? How I can build a high performing team because people are so tired. What do we need to do? How can we change the way we work? So that comes up a lot. And the third one then is definitely developmental goal. People's always looking for growth. So am I learning? How can I learn more? How can I grow? Yeah. I would have said these three, leadership, well-being, and career growth tends to be what we're seeing a lot. Sounds exactly like what uh, we've been talking about as well, right, Adrian? A lot of the times it's mm. the leadership, I'm assuming the subset is the relationships you are having with the people around you. Yes. You might be a very tough go-getter, but actually your team doesn't respond to that kind of thing. And so they kind of find themselves in a difficult situation. So they need help to untangle the knots. Thank you. Thank you so much. I learned a lot listening to you. What I took away from the discussion is that, frankly, sometimes we ignore the signs that will make a change in our life. 
whether we're talking about coaching or training or skilling up and doing better, the first step is the most important step. And that step lies with the individual. That to me is like so important. Adrian, what about you? I like the fact that coaching is forward-looking and also it focuses on the fact that you already have what you possess to make the necessary change or adjustment. If 10, 20 years ago, you give me the set of ingredients in the kitchen, I sure will screw up one because I know nothing about cooking. But as you learn, as you evolve and improve, the same set of ingredients can become magical dishes. All that is already in us. It's just we already have all the ingredients. We just have to put them in the right sequence, putting it under the right heat, the right condiments, and magic can happen. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can go to the CNA app and hit listen to find other episodes on this podcast. We also have a range of other topics you might be interested in too. The team behind Work It is Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Saya Win, and I'm Adrian. I'm Crispina and here's a quote I liked from Simon Snack, which I saw. We are what we care about, not the things we do. I hope you like that as much as I did. See you next week. Thank you.